we have a number of things that are invisible, that are intangible, non-physical, that are fundamentally changing our society. We need to rethink our logic for how we secure the Republic. You want to understand your future, create it, design it. You know, we are the United States of America. We can do this. We literally are the light on the hill. Welcome to The Convergence, the Army's Mad Scientist podcast. I'm Matt Sanisbert of the Mad Scientist team, and I'll be joined in just a moment by Luke Shabro, Deputy Director of Mad Scientist. Mad Scientist is a U.S. Army initiative that continually explores the future of warfare, challenges assumptions, and collaborates with academia, industry, and government. You can connect with us through Twitter at ArmyMadSci, or subscribe to the blog, The Mad Scientist Laboratory, at madsciblog.tradoc.army.mil. Today, we'll be talking once again with Colonel Retired Steve Bannock, Director of the Army Management Staff College. Colonel Bannock will be discussing what he calls non-terrestrial war, weapons of mass deception, and why we're at a pivotal point in the defense of our country. As always, the views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Department of Defense, Department of the Army, Army Futures Command, or Training and Doctrine Command. Let's get started. Steve, thanks for joining us today. Hey, it's uh, Matt uh, and Luke. It's great to be with you. And, uh, you know, again, I really appreciate uh, what the TRADOC uh, G2 and and, uh, and the Mad Scientist uh, Initiative does for our Army and, and Department of Defense and, and our country. So thanks for having me, and I look forward to it. Uh, we do, too. We're, we're happy to have you here back again. So today we're here to talk to you about what you call non-terrestrial war. Can you tell us what that is and why it's important to this audience? You know, just let me t- just take a step back and, and uh, just kind of make a make a comment about why I want this uh, this approach. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, that all of us uh, in, in the Army and the DoD uh, interagency or, or government we're struggling to frame and then name this unprecedented uh, phenomena that we're all all experiencing. It's not by accident. As I looked at it, it was clear to me that we have a number of things that are invisible, that are intangible, non-physical, that are fundamentally changing our society. Uh, you know, we had uh, a senior person out here who has responsibility uh, for planning in Africa. You know, he highlighted that there were 10 coup d'etats on the African continent. And so none of that's by accident. It's uh, you know continental systemic shock, if you will. So I just took a step back and said, okay, how do we best frame this? And then, and then how do we name this unprecedented war uh, that's upon us? And, uh, you know, in the work that I did, you know, I, I came up with 20 different forms of warfare that are not tangible. They're invisible, non-physical, and they produce, uh, you know, invisible effects that we're not immediately aware of. And in some cases, we don't know for years. In some cases, we'll never know. So, uh, you know, the way I look at non-terrestrial war is it's, it's an unbounded global strategic form of maneuver performed by nation state and non-nation state actors. You know, it is enduring. It is intangible. It's not physical. Uh, you know, it's a new approach uh, to warfare, you know, here to four that we have not framed or named. Now, I, I think that's a really important point, sir. And really, when you talk about uh, even we may never know. There's there's so many factors happening beyond the kinetic warfare we we typically talk about, and I would say a lot of times that our professional military education and leadership um, is geared more towards the conventional kind of kinetic fight. And so, with non-terrestrial war, how does the role of leadership play into this? Well, you know, it plays a uh, a, a huge role. 
uh, in, in the framing and, and naming and the, and the type of work uh, that we need to accomplish. When, when we look at uh, you know, the, the challenge that's in front of us, and, and again, I'm, I'm going to refer to Ron Heifetz here and in, 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 uh, you know, his, you know, his writings on leadership. I mean, leadership's a values-based activity, right? It mobilizes people to do adaptive work. So we need leadership when we're confronted with complexity that requires adaptive work. And we are confronted with this unprecedented complex adaptive challenge that's called non-terrestrial war uh, that requires an adaptive work acumen across the enterprise. And I'm not just talking about the Army. You know, non-terrestrial war is, is not an Army responsibility, but if the Army doesn't weigh in and, and figure it out, it's not going to get figured out. And so the next thing that leadership has to do, it, it has to see the new war you know, through a new lens, you know, throughout, uh, you know, history, the captains of war, for whatever reason, failure to adjust mental models have routinely missed the, the new war that was in front of them. You know, we saw this happen to the French in 1940 after studying, you know, the Germans for 20 years, and they got rolled up in, uh, you know, in six weeks. We saw it, and I was there in Iraq in, in 2003. We were planning for you know, Operation uh, Desert Storm 2, you know, 100-hour tank war, and of course, the, that turned into a counterinsurgency fight. So, you know, why did we miss these uh, wars that seem, you know, pretty apparent in terrestrial space for that matter? So we have, a, we have a much greater challenge that's upon us right now. We have to broaden our mental models. We have to expand the competitive space, the range of theory that we're looking at uh, well beyond large-scale combat operations to see this new form of war that we're confronted with. And, and what I'm talking about eclipses the four revolutions in military affairs that we've had, you know, dating back to, you know, 1899, we're experiencing a revolution in human affairs. So, uh, I mean, this is a, you know, historic, you know, heavy lift for us. I would advocate uh, or suggest that uh, this is a whole of nation, a whole of coalition, uh, complex adaptive problem where we've got to be able to learn across boundaries. And, and, and again, I've advocated you know, for a Manhattan type project, the 2.0, uh, to pull subject matter experts uh, from across all the elements of our government, academia, the business world, and, uh, and also our coalition partners. Because fundamentally, I think this is an East assault on the Western way of governance and, and life. Uh, so, and this goes well beyond our boundaries uh, in the Army and, and the United States. You know, and we have we have constructs for do, doing this. I mean, we we understand that we have a broader mental model other than the classic process model, which is collapsing under the weight of the complexity uh, that we're experiencing today. The step by step uh, bounded uh, processes are all, all well and good. We we need them. We certainly need them, but uh, they're they're not robust enough to deal with the complexity that uh, that we're confronted with today. So you know. Creating an entity, you know, a design team that can, on the one hand, uh, synthesize the 20 different forms uh, of uh, warfare that underpin non-terrestrial war and, and the associated uh, technologies is really, really important. And at some point in our history, we synthesize the infantry, armor, artillery, intelligence, air defense, engineer, and, and uh, command and control systems you know, into a tactical and operational terrestrial combined arms maneuver construct. We, we haven't done that for terrestrial war, number one, because we haven't framed it that way. Uh, but I would suggest as, as we go forward and design a future that can win, uh, that we ought to start with a team that can synthesize cyber, social media, artificial intelligence, machine learning, 
robotics, our electronic warfare, uh, signals intelligence. There's a behavioral science piece of this, a biomedical engineering piece, uh, a litany of nanotechnologies, and of course, space operations. If we can synthesize that into a, a new strategic non-terrestrial global form of maneuver, we would do uh, what I believe someone else has already done at this point. Uh, you look out over the last two years, what's happening in Africa that I mentioned and what's happening in our country is it is not by accident. It is a well-orchestrated global campaign uh, that has thoroughly enveloped all of us. So you mentioned that this is a, a well-orchestrated campaign and we may not see the, the people behind this for several years or even ever. Um, so that brings me to the next question, because you say that non-terrestrial war is accomplished through weapons of mass deception. Can you give us a few examples of what those are and how they're being or could be employed? What kind of role do technologies like deepfakes play in this? Well, this, I mean, this is so pervasive. Uh, and, and again, you know, the art of war, right, Sun Tzu? It's all about the war is fundamentally about deception. And I tell you that we're being inundated. When you start with social media, you know, the manipulation and exploitation of the sender's, uh, you know, identity and in, in, uh, in, in content information, you know, manipulation and exploitation uh, of the sender's uh, communication channel. Uh, and, and of course, our, our, our manipulation of our human behavior, you know, the dispossession and uh, commodification of each one of our uh, behavioral patterns uh, that are that are sold for profit and, and leveraged for uh positional advantage in a global marketplace. So there's a, a tremendous amount of inertia. What I just described is a growing phenomenon. We see it, and again, pulling the thread on social media, we see in blogs and social news networks uh, in, in the virtual social world, you know, deception is uh, just perpetrated along all these uh, social media vehicles, many times you know, by bots, uh, and, and, and it's not real. It's, it's fake information that they're you know, the, the, you know, the notion of deep fakes is, is played out here. Large uh, segments of our, our population uh, consequently live in an echo chamber. You know, the content uh, we read and listen to or, or see in Facebook and Reddit or Twitter, it's produced by machines. It's, it's not even a, a biological uh, creation. Of course, you know, this reinforces a whole bunch of uh, egocentric, you know, uh, externalities that, that, aren't, that aren't helpful. You know, everything we do on the on the Internet of all things is is a matter of, uh, you know, digital record for you know time immemorial. Once it's there, it's there forever and it can be manipulated and is being manipulated. And again, uh, for profit or positional advantage uh, in some way to put a finer point on this, you know, just in the last month, there's this tremendous discussion within our government about misinformation and disinformation. That's all part of the weapons of mass deception, uh, you know, arsenals. You know, when I look out from an instructional and educational standpoint, we've really got to understand the theory behind the war uh, that we're in, that we're experiencing right now. And you see uh, the use of, uh, and again, social media, the pervasive change technologies and effects that are in social media. There's a number of attention distraction heuristics built into our, our technologies to, you know, to drive uh, human behavior and our psyches in a certain direction. And of course, you know, if you read anything about the mental, emotional uh, anxiety that this is creating, you know, in our population, this none of this is, is by accident. It's a, it's a premeditated plan, it's a well-orchestrated plan. Uh, we're seeing it, you know, in, in algorithmic warfare, you know, again, uh, the relational dialectic theory, which is a, which is a Russian theory, uh, Mikhail Bakhtin, Created it about 100 years ago, it was designed to divide populations. And in semiotic exploitation theory, 
designed to exploit our signs and symbols, which leads to liminality. You know, the, the, this you know uh, this creation of uh, of uh, disequilibrium and, and systemic shock in a society where uh, you know the elites are in crisis and the global commons they quit because they can't comprehend what is happening to them, and that's that's our state today. So. This is a brilliant, elegant, uh, strategic form of maneuver that's being levied upon us. It's not by accident, uh, and it's pervasive, and it's growing. Sir, you talked about you know it growing so much, and previously you've discussed the four dimensions of non-terrestrial war, the six non-terrestrial principles of war, and the five non-terrestrial warfighting functions. What are those, and, and how do they interact with each other, and how do they differ from the traditional or conventional aspects of warfare? Well, I'll just start with the difference. First of all, uh, they're intangible, they're invisible, you can't see them at play. And the other way they're different is they're strategic. They have global reach. They're enduring. They're never ending. They never sleep. And again, they, they build on one another. These are strategic tools. We're not talking bounded, you know, use the COCOM construct where there's boundaries between COCOMs and terrestrial war. These are unbounded entities and capabilities. So it's a major mental model shift from unbounded, going from the terrestrial into the unbounded non-terrestrial perspective. And then our forte and again, nobody does this any better than, than the U.S. Army. You know, operational tactical campaigns and, and battles of terrestrial war. There's nobody better out there and more capable of destroying tank armies, uh, a technical challenge requiring technical work than the U.S. Army. You can't touch it. We're talking somebody, something completely different and a construct that uh, builds on itself. So the backbone are these four dimensions of non-terrestrial war that I talk about. And it starts with this uh, burgeoning set of uh, technology structures, technology capabilities, the flow of data. It's like a tsunami flow of data on a global scale. And it hits us in a time and a sense of timing that really none of us uh, you know, can comprehend. And oh, by the way, nobody's in charge of any of this stuff. And so when you look at the convergence as a learning system, you know, the convergence rides on the back of the four dimensions of, of non-terrestrial war. And uh, that convergence, non-terrestrial war is fundamentally about the weaponization of the convergence, the weaponization of the global learning system. So uh, that's, the, that's the first piece. Uh, you know, that's the backbone uh, for the six non-terrestrial principles of war. So as, as these four dimensional uh, dimensions of non-terrestrial war have grown and migrated and gotten more powerful, it's created this concept of global entanglement of all of our systems uh, that are connected to these technology sources. That global entanglement has uh, uh, brought in the capability to have assured connectivity with any human being that's connected to the system of all, or to the uh, internet of all things. Uh, so if you have entanglement, assured connectivity, then you at least the persistent surveillance of that population, which in turn, uh, and again, human nature is to weaponize, you know, it, it in turn produces ubiquitous uh, systems warfare on a global scale. And that is exactly what we're seeing. You know, the Chinese perspective is that war is not war. So what they're doing that, you know, nation state, non-nation state actors is they're attacking the United States through all of our, our systems and just holding the terrestrial warfighting capability at bay, taking the world's greatest superpower and military capability and setting it off in the margins where because of lawfare, Chinese, uh, one of the pillars of the Chinese new way of war, 
the military doesn't have the law, the regulation or the authorities to engage in what's assaulting, you know, we the people here in the United States. So we have this ubiquitous systems warfare on a global scale, uh, but we're seeing it grow in the United States uh, with each passing day. And uh, so the entanglement, the assured connectivity, the surveillance, and then, and then the systems warfare is virtually colonizing every one of us. Uh, you know, uh, all of us on, on this call, on this session today, we were born citizens. Uh, but I would tell you, you know, my experience over the last 40 years, we, we've been colonized and have moved from being citizens to netizens. It's a completely different creation, and it's opaque to most of us. Uh, we don't even realize that transition has happened and that we are being manipulated every single day, that our behavioral patterns, the virtual avatars, behavioral avatars that we all have, all of that is being dispossessed and, and uh, commodified for profit. So there's a tremendous uh, challenge here as uh, you, know, you move forward from the virtual colonization to the end game, uh, which, is, which is social control of the populations. So entanglement, assured connectivity, persistent surveillance, ubiquitous systems warfare, leads to colonization and then, uh, and then social control. Once you've established that, this is where the, you know, these five non-terrestrial warfighting functions come in, and it applies to individuals, organizations, and nation states, you know, co corporations, et cetera, where you make you know, the infiltration you know, into said system, individual organization or nation state. And once that infil infiltration you know, is complete, you establish a you know, what I call, uh, you know, a perch uh, position, you orient, and then you adapt to, to the environment. And once you adapt to the environment, you understand what, what it is you're seeing, uh, you do the data extraction and the data exploitation. And that is happening nonstop uh, through a multitude of methods. You know, that, that sums up the four dimensions of non-terrestrial war, uh, the principles of war, and, and the war fighting functions. You know, I think what's really interesting about this this topic and how complex it is, is that, you know, most of the subjects we talk about on here are very defense centric, military centric, army centric, you know, focused in that arena. But what's interesting about this is that while that is still true, it really touches everybody. It touches people who have nothing to do with defense, nothing to do with the military, nothing to do with the army. It's affecting everyone. And that's kind of the overall goal, which is, uh, like I said, interesting, but also kind of scary that the, the target of all this is everyday citizens just as much as it is anybody related to defense. Um, so in your previous answer, you, you talked about global entanglement. And last time we had you on the show, you were talking about global entanglement and multi-reality warfare. So how does non-terrestrial warfare differ from multi-reality warfare? Are they connected? Is one a subset of the other? Is there a link there? Yeah, so, you know, absolutely. In my pursuit of framing and naming what is before us and, and trying to put a finer point on this for the Army, the DOD, the, our government writ large, I mapped out 20 different types of warfare that are intangible, non-physical, but produce physical effects, uh, you know, in, in the terrestrial space. And, and so multi-reality warfare is one of 20 types of warfare that exists in the non-terrestrial, you know, frame. You know, it's, it's an output of non-terrestrial war. It deceives the population. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, it places an individual, a group, or a nation state, in our case, in a, in a state of disequilibrium liminality and, and confusion, you know, so, you know, fundamentally, multi-reality warfare, its goal is, you know, uh, to deny the productive range of learning to a population. The learning system is the weapon system. And just to kind of, you know, make a build here, our learning system that we have 
that's largely focused on, on technical work and technical problem solving, i.e. destroying tank armies and large-scale combat operations, needs to be fundamentally reframed to deal with these, these very real non-terrestrial threats that we're seeing here. We have a challenge uh, you know, that's in front of us that's uh, far greater than the four revolutions in military affairs that, uh, that we've experienced. So we need uh, to confront things like multi-reality war. We need to rethink our logic for how we secure the republic. We need a new national security form, a new set of uh, functions, new laws, new authorities, and really a new culture that allows us uh, to remain as decisive and capable uh, as we were, uh, as an example, in a 1991, you know, Desert Storm, Desert Shield War. And speaking of examples, the, the topic that's really on everybody's mind a lot right now, um, and of course across the news constantly, uh, looking at the situation in Ukraine right now, in what ways are we seeing non-terrestrial warfare uh, in that situation? And how can we expect to confront that in a future war that the U.S. would be involved in? Yeah, so, so this, is, this is ideal. Uh, we'll start with Elon Musk. He is a, he's a private U.S. citizen. He chose to maneuver his satellites over a sovereign nation state, the Ukraine, who was engaged in both non-terrestrial and terrestrial war uh, with another sovereign nation state, Russia. This is a big deal. I've been saying all along that we're experiencing a revolution in human affairs where civilians are combatants. And there's no greater example than what I just described uh, right there with Elon Musk. Uh, a, a private citizen uh, engaging, because he has the wherewithal, in nation-state war with non-terrestrial resources, putting them at the disposal of the Ukrainian people. And so, in another example, though, uh, I think that we've all seen is that, uh, you know, this group Anonymous, as soon as the, the Russians, uh, you know, were really hinting that they were going to assault, and then when they did assault, Anonymous attacked the Russian communication infrastructure, and, and were apologizing you know, to the Russian people that the attacks were not against them. It was against Putin and, you know, his regime there. And then prior to the actual Russian deployment, you're watching this closely. Uh, it, we had a number of hacktivists who were hacking the Belarus train station in an attempt to hinder, uh, you know, the Russian army from deploying into staging bases, uh, you know, from the north to assault into the Ukraine with the target uh, being Kiev. And, you know, there's also evidence out there where private sector, you know, tech giants from the U.S. Uh, were very active in countering malware. Most of the people don't have visibility on that kind of behavior. You know, just to, you know, add one more thing to this, you know, civilians are combatants. The battle space is our home offices in, in all points in between and uh, involves nation state, non-nation state entities. And the weapons fit in our hands. They sit on our, our desk. We wear them on our, on our wrists. In an Elon Musk you know, situation, you know, he was able to move satellites that he owns in support of, of a nation state. So that right there uh, ought to signal that we need to reframe our conceptualization for war. And we really need to start thinking about when the U.S. plans to do its next invasion, it has a non-terrestrial warfare front that it very much needs to consider and map to ensure that they're ready for all the civilian forces and entities out there who have tremendous capability to engage in non-terrestrial and terrestrial warfare. I mean, this is a new phenomenon. You know, this is the really the first time we've seen uh, anything like this in history. One of the many amazing things that we've uh, observed from the war in Ukraine is just how effective and how involved 
civilians have been in that conflict, whether they're super empowered individuals like an Elon Musk, whether it's, uh, you know, a group coming together online like Anonymous, or whether it is just civilians in Ukraine who are learning how to, how to fend off uh, an incursion. Um, it has really been kind of eye-opening just how, how involved uh, civilians can be. Um, I want to I talk a little bit about designing the future and give you a chance to kind of expand and expound upon it, because you mentioned it briefly in one of your previous answers. But how can we design the future that we need to combat, mitigate, or operate effectively within this new environment? You can't predict the future. You know, uh, a number of people, Abraham Lincoln and other great men said, you know, you want to understand your future, create it, design it. And, um, you know, we are the United States of America. We can do this. We've got the talent uh, to be able to do it, but it does require the leadership. You know, as I highlighted earlier, this is a whole of nation, whole of coalition uh, requirement. It is a complex adaptive problem situation that, you know, the mental models and the leadership construct, the hierarchical leadership construct, uh, the, the, the process planning uh, rubrics uh, that we use are insufficient and they're, and they're collapsing uh, right in front of our eyes. So, we need to embrace new mental models, you know, to engage in this. Martin Reeves, you know, talks about in his book, your strategy uh, needs a strategy uh, moving, you know, when you're dealing with complexity to move away from uh, the classic planning model, embrace, you know, other uh, mental models that are more inclusive, a broader body of, uh, of methods, if you will. And so that's the first step. And again, we're dealing with complexity. So there's, there's no uh, familiar dot mail PF uh, solutions that we can pull out and say, okay, we need to go this way. Uh, we're, we really are treading in, in unfamiliar terrain. And so I, I've recommended many times a, a Manhattan 2.0 project to frame uh, our version uh, of, a, of a non-terrestrial warfare schema, the most powerful thing that, that we, can, we could do. I think it, it's going to take 38 people. You know, I've kind of laid out the, the types of skills that we need, uh, you know, cyber, social media. Uh, artificial intelligence, robotics, and, and some of the other things that I've mentioned that through a design construct, uh, we could synthesize those capabilities into a new uh, warfighting capability uh, as we're doing that. And again, what I'm talking about in this Manhattan Project is building a new uh, learning system. So the first uh, operating system, I just highlighted you know, some of the subject matter experts, and I mentioned them earlier would form you know, operating system, number one, a big data, which will eventually uh, be quantum, uh, be a quantum operating system. But we've got to bring those subject matter experts together. There's probably uh, 14 or 15 of them that we need to bring together and, and engage them in a design thinking construct, which uh, would lead us to a second operating system that doesn't exist today, which is a design sense-making operating system uh, to handle uh, adaptive work associated with complex adaptive problems and non-predictive decision-making. And then there's a third uh, uh, operating system that we would need to create in this Manhattan Project-type construct in this learning system uh, is, a, is, a, is a process operating system. And we're not talking about the processes we use now. I'm talking about the processes that we're going to use and need uh, here in about uh, 10 to 15 years uh, when quantum computing, uh, sensing, and uh, encryption and decryption uh, communication is a real thing. It's something that I don't think we're paying enough attention to strategically is this, uh, and everybody's fo focusing a lot on uh, AI and, and rightfully so, but we are strategically in the quantum footprint now. Uh, and again, I mentioned computing, uh, sensing, uh, quantum communication, encryption, and decryption. When all of those shoes fall, 
it's going to fundamentally uh, change society. We're going we're to experience, as Kurzweil talks about in his book, The Singularity, The Fusion of Biological and Machine Intelligence, we're going to experience a societal rupture uh, if we don't reframe the processes that we're using and align ourselves with those operating systems I'm talking about, big data, which will migrate to quantum, uh, a design sense-making uh, acumen you know, in the army, in our government, and then uh, new processes that are not only AI capable, but uh, soon to be quantum capable. Uh, we've got to be positioned in that manner. So there's the know-how available. It's the want to uh, that's the question mark. And, uh, you know, most of the time we, we, we've seen it with uh, 9-11. We saw it with Pearl Harbor. The only way you make these exponential changes is, is you, you take a hit. And I don't think we need to do that. Uh, you, you asked, you know, uh, previously, what can leadership do? Leadership needs to mobilize uh, the resources we have in the Army across the uh, interagency enterprise, across the commercial enterprise, uh, our coalition partners. And we need to do this. It's it's at our fingertips. Uh, we have the know-how in all these areas to do it. It's just the organizing logic and the leadership to make it happen. Sir, it was, it was great that you mentioned resources because, you know, we still consider people to be our greatest resource within within the Army, within the DOD. Um you know, so how do you train then soldiers and leaders for non-terrestrial war? So the, the U.S. is known as um, premier when it comes to training as we think about conventional warfare. Um, but how do you train soldiers in the future for non-terrestrial war? Well, you know, the good news is they're going to be non-terrestrial war natives, right? They're going to grow up with the DNA. So uh, the 18-year-old private is going to be fundamentally different than, you know, I was when I was 18 years old and, uh, you know, eventually coming into the military. So some of this will be inherent in the talent uh, that's available to us. But, you know, near term, and this is something I think that uh, area of improvement is we need, we need to make a significant investment uh, in all those uh, capabilities that I mentioned a second ago, from from cyber all the way, you know, from behavioral science, biomedical engineering, and space, et cetera. Like I said, about 14 or 15 different capabilities that you're going to require down at the brigade combat team level. Uh, so first intermittent step here uh, to get to where we need to be is to hire those people at the right market price point and then continue to educate and manage that talent at the highest level possible to meet the demands of non-terrestrial war. You know, what we're doing right now at the Army Management Staff College is we've hired cyber, social media, AI, robotics, electronic warfare, and get ready to hire a signals intelligence subject matter expert to understand the theory and how to translate all that into curriculum, into, into the civilian education system, and then hand it off you know, through TRADOC's uh, educational systems to the professional military education system and the uniform cohort. So we're starting to do some of this, but this is a fundamental creation. It's not even a reframe. None of this exists in terms of the academic uh, sector. I, I know we're doing some of what I just talked about, uh, I would I would suggest, and I just had a conversation with a with a, a senior leader uh, prior to doing this podcast. The conceptualization of war has fundamentally got to change. Our adversaries never intend to fight us on a large scale combat operations battlefield, and if we do, it'll it'll be a a last resort exercise on on their part. So uh, we're going to have to do those things that we're talking about. You know, what we're talking about uh, really is, you know, kind of split in two different veins. One is functional training in these uh, uh, specific disciplines that will enhance our capability to wage non-terrestrial war. 
And the other piece is, is the theoretical component of it, you know, Clausewitz paraphrasing here. But in order to win a war, uh, number one, you need to understand the theory for the war you're in, you know, if you have any, any chance of winning. It's the theoretical aspect tied to the technical ones and zeros kind of construct that, you know, as we've seen with, you know, the four industrial revolutions that have occurred, you know, the first three, basically 100-year increments. And then the fourth one went from 1969 to 1989. That's a 20-year gap. Uh, And I think, honestly, based on what I've seen here, you know, since 9-11, I I think we've had another turn, an exponential turn. I'd really uh, would advocate that we're we're in the fifth industrial revolution that nobody's really uh, codified and is, is talking about it. It's a completely different recruitment and talent management, education and training uh, schema that we need to create. And again, people in uh, in the various centers of excellence, they're doing some of this. You know, when I hired the subject matter experts uh, here uh, in our college, and we got great people, it was at a traditional price point. And I think if, you know, to get Silicon Valley type talent, I mean, that's got to fundamentally change for us to compete at a level uh, that we all want to compete at. Yeah, exactly, sir. And, you know, you said there's we're in this fifth industrial revolution that nobody's really talking about. Uh, but you're talking about it and you have been um, for quite some time. And that's why we have this podcast to try to get that word out. And I think what you've been talking about is really powerful, especially when you you hearken back to some of the historical analogies of Pearl Harbor and 9-11. You know, we don't make those changes until we get hit, but you're here now signaling it, saying, let's not wait until we get hit this time. Let's do something before that happens. So I think it's really powerful stuff. Um, so you've been on this show before. Um, so we've already asked you what your favorite movie is and all that. And loyalists will know what it is. And, and new listeners will have to go back to episode 42 to check it out. But I don't want to let you leave without getting some kind of a personal question here. So uh, what's, what's your biggest hobby outside of work? What do you like to do? Well, number one, uh, uh, spend time with my wife and, and my grandchildren, uh, tremendous gifts. Um, my approach, uh, uh, is, uh, is to always give back, you know, just pour yourself out and, and try to make a contribution, uh, to this next generation that's coming up behind us and, uh, to spend as much time with our youth as I can, uh, to lead coach and mentor, and uh, so, you know, I, I spend I spend a lot of my time doing that. Yeah, I think that's great stuff. That's a beautiful answer. Uh, you know, give back, spend time with family. Doesn't get any better than that. Um, so, do you have any final words before we wrap up, sir? Yeah, I, I you know, I, again, I'll just reiterate: we live in the in the finest uh, country in in the world. You know, with respect to non-terrestrial war, sometimes that gets lost in the weapons of mass deception, in the barrage that uh, that we uh, that we see uh, and experience every day. Uh, so that's our starting point. Uh, freedom is our strength. The Constitution is an amazing document. These United States is just an incredible idea. Uh, and we need to do our best to fight and to keep that idea alive uh, because we, we literally are the light on the hill. There is no other place uh, like what we have. And we need to guard it and protect it and, and do whatever we can do to pass it on uh, to our next generation. I want to thank you for for coming on the show again, sir. Uh, we are always well educated after we listen to you. Uh, it's great having folks like you come on here and tell us and tell the Army uh, what's going on and what we should be looking out for and how we can get that done. So once again, thanks for coming on the show, sir. Hey, th- thank you, guys. And, and again, uh, appreciate what you can do. And, and what we talked about today is within our grasp we we just need uh we just need the leadership to give the word to go and uh and we can pull all this together so thanks a lot 
and uh, and very much uh, uh, enjoyed this session and the others that we've done together. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to The Convergence. I'd like to thank our guest, Colonel Retired Steve Bannock, Director of the Army Management Staff College. You can connect with Mad Scientist through Twitter, at ArmyMadSci, and don't forget to subscribe to our blog, The Mad Scientist Laboratory, at madsciblog.tradoc.army.mil. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider giving us a rating or review on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you accessed it. This feedback helps us to improve future episodes of The Convergence and allows us to reach a bigger and broader audience.